We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a That sound you hear is me furiously deleting any tweet I ever wrote that had a bad word to say about Sayed Kolasinac. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, football aside, what a man. What a man. As a famous band once said, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Um, You know, I don't want to do a deep dive on this, and maybe down the road later on the pod we will get into it with Clive and Paul, but... Obviously, the news regarding uh, Ozil and Kolasinac being attacked by knife-wielding thugs is disturbing, to say the least, and I'm glad that they're both well, and it is uh, quite impressive to see a man that would put his life on the line to defend himself and his friend, uh, and so in general, just kudos to him, and certainly a very scary situation. Happy they're both doing well. This is what you might call a bumper pod. Uh, so, first of all, recording it in the morning, hence my slightly froggy throat, and what will inevitably be... Uh, a less than ordinarily creative effort from me, but that's okay because I'll be joined by people who are meant to be the stars of this. One of them is Tim. He'll be on momentarily. Uh, Clive and Paul will be on down the line. So the way we're going to do this is Tim's going to handle the Q&A, which he attended. Uh, We'll get a sense of what it was like to be there, the questions that were asked, answers that were given, anything that he derived from being there in person that maybe is harder to get uh, contextually from a written account of it. And then after the break, we'll come back with Clive and Paul. We'll talk the Madrid game. We'll talk the arrival of Saliba and Ceballos and some other rumors and maybe a little on the the Ozil-Kolasinac situation, uh, hopefully in a tasteful manner. But I I do think it's news, so it warrants a mention. And Tim, as I mentioned, is here. You can find him on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. Hello, indeed. All right, so you attended the Q&A yesterday. So the first question I have, just the formality of this. This is something that had happened for many years, uh, the Associates General mm-hmm. Meeting, I guess it was called, for shareholders in the club to meet with the executives and and ask them questions and things like that. I'm sort of curious now that there are no shareholders other than uh, Stan the Man, why this takes place, uh, what the justification for it taking place is, like what's the mandate for this, and, and is it different from what it used to be? So um, it's it's a supporters club um, Q and A. Um, so it's happened for just over a decade now. Now ah, okay. it used to be. So can I stop you for a second? I have already then mistaken exactly what I'm talking about. Correct. <laughs> so the AGM so was it, something totally different from what this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks the the AGM had to had to take place by law. This is right. something that that the club do that they don't have to. Um, in mm-hmm. fairness to them, and I'm not sure a lot of other clubs do this, but. Um, they do, and they kind of front up every year. Um, it used to be um, the Arsenal Supporters Trust and the Arsenal Independent Supporters Association, ASA, um, and that was it. Um, they've since broadened it out to include other supporters clubs, other supporters branches and things like that. Um, and usually it, it actually started with Arsene Wenger, but then Arsene Wenger did it once and he never did it again. But... <laughs> because it got uh, it got a bit tasty and then so usually it was Ivan fronted and over the years it's become slightly more polished so now they have they usually have like a special guest so last year that that guest was Unai Emery the year before they've had like Ian Wright um and and and, and Ray Parler and people like that and that's that's kind of nice but it's also a little bit to soften the crowd mm. and to stage manage things and also to take up a little bit more time and you know you get to ask those individuals questions and you know with all due respect it's great to be able to ask someone like Ian Wright for example in past years questions but you're not asking you know the top brass about the way that they're running the club so there's there's ways they've started to manage it just to take the sting out a little bit and actually um as much as it's you know a a good thing to broaden it out to other supporters clubs what that kind of does and i think arsenal know this is it um it kind of it means that some of the questions aren't quite as organized so when this was just a couple of like leading um supporters associations you know i i've been a member of the ast for some years now there'd always be a meeting before and right what are we going to ask well okay here's our questions and you know you get people who are going to ask the questions so that you can get the maximum out of the event now obviously now it's it's a broader church in terms of supporters clubs you don't really you lose that sense of organization um so there's there are things that they do to stage manage it and they have a compare and so they start off uh, it's Nigel Mitchell who'll be familiar to most people who either go to the stadium or, you know, see anything on Arsenal media. He's kind of tends to be the front man for this kind of thing. And he compares it and he asks some questions for the first half an hour and then they throw it open to the floor and it's entirely unvetted um, in fairness. So they, they, they really do kind of face the music. It's, you know, I had a bit of a whinge about this on Twitter. It's slightly regrettable that some people use that opportunity to just execute three-minute monologues into the microphone and not actually ask yeah. a question um which which can be a bit frustrating and waste the small time you have but where this one was was very interesting is they had edu as as the special guest now obviously he's only just arrived but that means that effectively the guys running the football side of arsenal were all there on stage and they brought joe montemoro on a bit later and they brought liam brady on a bit later after that so actually 
to be fair, this one was possibly it was either stage managed not in the way that they wanted or slightly differently in that they did have, you know, the three guys on stage on stage at the same time um, kind of answering the questions. So, uh, you know, maybe that explains a bit why they weren't able to quite take the sting out of this one. Um, I think announcing two new signings on the day of this Q&A, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think Saliba... Saliba certainly could have been announced earlier in the week. I think probably uh, Ceballos could have been announced 24 hours earlier, but they held it back. And I think they held it back for this. And what you see as well is you see some positioning before this, which which is entirely understandable and what any organisation would do. But, you know, Arsenal will put stories out. Obviously, they did the uh, interview with Edu last weekend. A lot of that was about positioning for this. Um, and it's good positioning because it answers some, it anticipates some questions and answers them. Um, but a lot of it as well, if you saw the interview with Raul and Vinay at the end of last season that went on the official website, you know, a lot of it was just to kind of repeat some of that information about the football structure of the club. So it's, it's kind of, it's one of those things they don't have to do it. Um, and it's good that they do it, but they also, you know, they make sure that it's, that it's quite well stage managed, which I guess you'd expect. Just, in, in terms of first impressions, having been at these meetings handled by the previous regime, what was the sense you got of Raul and Vinay, and to some extent, Edu, who mm. it's sort of unfair to put him in this situation having just yeah. arrived, and I thought it was interesting that Raul expressly said he's not responsible for this window. His responsibilities yeah. start in September, which certainly raises the question, who is responsible for this window, and where can I send them my thoughts? But um, <laughs> uh, to be fair, this could still turn out to be a fine window. But anyway... Uh, in terms of just your first impressions of their level of appreciation of what's going on at the club, the needs and worries of the fans, their ability to sort of handle the environment, uh, appear engaged and interested in all of these things are, to some extent, obviously performative. But did you get a sense of them being better than the previous regime, as good, less mm. credible, more credible? Where, where Where do they measure up? It's it's difficult because we've got we've from the Gazidis years we've all got such a layer of like rhinoceros type skin <laughs> um, around us uh, about this. Any and, slick and talking, actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and actually, to be fair, Vinay, um, who who I think comes across, you know, Vinay is he's he's quite young. He's I think he's about my age. Um, actually, I think he's only in his mid thirties, like real high achiever. Um, and you know, look, you expect highly paid executives to be able to handle a crowd and handle a microphone quite well and obviously they can do that because edis could do that um and and like and, and vinay actually he summed it up he said i know you're all sick of hearing words but this is a q and a and unfortunately that's all we can give you um tonight so i mean vinay look vinay he you know he's the bean counter isn't he so yes he speaks very impressively etc etc but he's he's kind of looking after the things that maybe don't really get that are important that don't really get our blood pumping uh rounded a lot of the talking and i think that's that was the interesting part um once you sorry this this is quite an, an out of order thing to say but once you actually get past the fact that rouse really sounds like a bond villain <laughs> um, and and listen to what he says like i i'm i'm cautiously you know with that kind of thick skin of cynicism i'm 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 cautiously optimistic about Raul. he does come across like he as you'd expect from someone who's been at barcelona and with nike and mm. and you know and, and things like that he he does 
kind of talk like he knows what he's talking about um and and you know he obviously does because of the jobs he's done and the job he's doing now and he you know he spoke quite well about like the challenges in the transfer window and things like that um i think they were quite open i th- i think that's one thing that i would say so they said were, a lot were of the things some at veiled shots at Gazidis. I was just about to say. I mean, there was yeah. the catalyst for change comment was thrown in there. Um, yeah, were, were yeah. there some shots fired? <laughs> I, I think a little bit. Yeah, I think a little. bit. Is that bit. playing I, to the I, crowd? Did you get the sense that that was no. meant to sort of be like, look, those guys were fuck ups, but we're going to fix it? I, I don't think that that's what they intended. I think that's probably just the reality <laughs> they were maybe trying to dance around it a little bit um what, what i'd say is that it was it sounded i think the thing is everyone's so aware of what the situation is that it was a lot less pie in the sky you know there was you know there was none of this kind of we we can compete with Bayern munich and you should be excited like for, for the first time at one of these things vin i said like look we're not going to win the premier league this year which is obviously not a surprise to anybody and everyone knows that, but at the same time, it was, you know, and he was talking about, look, I, I want you to know that getting into the Champions League is not our end goal. It's just the first step to get towards our end goal. And, but, but no, I, I so I found, I found Raul quite interesting. Um, you know, he, he, he's obviously th- that comment he made about Edu, like that was completely unprompted. He just said, look, I want I want to set this out now um, that this is the case. So he's like, he's taking, you know, a fair bit on his shoulders. And he was asked, again, like a fairly direct question about whether we're going to get another centre back in. And obviously he has to talk around that a little bit. But he said, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know, um, basically. So he he was like, look, we're working. It's a really difficult window. You can see that with the lack of activity everywhere. But he's like, look, I'm not going to promise you that we're going to pull, like we're going to pull a centre half out of somewhere. We're going to try but I can't promise you anything. And again, that I think there's, you know, maybe it's just the reality of the situation, but there's slightly less, like, there's slightly less to use that phrase again, pissing on people's backs and telling it, telling them it's raining. There is a I, little bit of... I've been told on Twitter that that's an Americanism that came from an American really? movie of some kind. Yeah, we, we had a response uh, okay. on Twitter suggesting that. So, um, okay. I, not that I'm trying Fair to enough. claim it if it's not, but I, I was not aware of it, but apparently it's, it's from a film or a TV show of American origin. I, and if that's incorrect, Fair somebody enough. get back at us and then we can get back at him and then we can start this <laughs> recursive loop of blaming people for incorrect information. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And I was going to say with Edu as well, you know, Edu, Edu came on and spoke very well as well. Obviously, you know, his English is, is really good, but like, I think, you know, he will have to be back in England for a little while and, and sharpen it back up again mm. um, to like fully express himself. But I mean, I think maybe, maybe at points he might have been taken a little bit aback by the kind of acidity of the crowd at some points. But I mean, I've seen some people say like they feel sorry for him about that. And I, I think he knows that wasn't directed at him. And also um, Edu is very seasoned in this type of environment. He was the guy who faced the press when Brazilian squad announcements were made. And that's, let me tell you, that's a really fucking tough crowd (laughs) Um, facing down um, 
Brazilian football journalists about the squad you the Brazil squad you've selected is one of the toughest crowds in football and he used to do that on like you know a monthly basis so mm. he's he's no stranger um to getting a bit of kickback and field fielding those questions and everything um the, the, the only the only bit I'd really call bullshit on was when Raul was talking about Edu and he was saying oh you know we got off the plane when we touched down from America and I said you know I looked at Edu and like he had this his eyes had all glazed over and I said Edu like how are you and he says oh I'm ho I feel like I'm home and it's like come on like yeah let's 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 not let's not um let's not over egg the pudding here um but you know it, it, it he did make a, a very good point which uh, personally i'm aware of but i don't think everyone would have been aware of was that edu had a very stable job had like a top job that he really wanted and he could have stayed in it and he did yeah. choose to come to arsenal now i don't know if that's because the money was better that might be a factor he might have just got sick of working with the cbf for three years which would have been quite understandable but you know he has made this move and they, and they spoke about the first time they made contact with him which was last November when Brazil played Uruguay at the Emirates so you know that has been going we all know he wasn't the first choice because they wanted Monchi but they had made early contact with him so yeah, um, yeah we, we got we got some information there that I don't think we'd had before and I, I, I think it's a little bit of a misunderstanding of what the fans want because look at the end of the day it is nice to have legends of the club back or certainly uh, former players who are around for periods for which we have great nostalgia, right? And, and that's nice. Yeah. But I don't think anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, I think the vast majority of fans are first and foremost concerned with getting the right people in the right positions. And I'm not saying Edu yeah. isn't that guy, by the way. But what I'm saying is, whether you look at what happened at Liverpool around the time they were appointing people like Kenny Dalglish, and, you know, the second time, and yeah, you look at Chelsea now appointing Lampard and United fumbling around and winding up with Solskjaer and... I don't think we want to be a club that just brings back the greatest hits and and tries to make it a nostalgia club. You know, I don't I don't think mm. having Freddie back and you know having Boldy back and having um, Edu back is going to appease anybody. We want performance. So while yeah. I appreciate him trying to appeal to that sense of club culture and tradition and history, and oh, he felt like he was home and you know we're building a home of Arsenal legends, like. We want to build new Arsenal legends and new memories and, and new achievements. So I, I think it's nice to have that connection to the past, but I, I certainly, and I'll speak for myself here, I certainly don't yeah. feel that a connection to the past vis-a-vis -vis the manager, the technical director, you know, the, the, the assistant managers, anything like that, I don't think that that is something I particularly care about as long as I feel qualified yeah. people are in the position, if that makes sense. No, and I, I, I wrote a little bit about this um, last week, actually. And, uh, Is there anything and you Arsenal... haven't written a little bit about? No, just out of <laughs> Not really, no. Because okay, yeah. in our Arsenal's history, like lots of clubs do this, in Arsenal's history, we've done this quite a bit. I like lots of clubs do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it just depends on the circumstances. So in the 50s, Arsenal kept hiring a load of guys from the t great team of the 30s and it it had the opposite effect that they wanted. It intimidated everyone. And, you know, the guys from the thirties were like, Oh, this is not the club I remember. And the guys in the team thought, Oh, this is intimidating. I've got this club legend above me and it didn't work. But then in like, the 80s when George Graham came and George Graham did that whole you know I'm, I'm bringing back Pat Rice George Armstrong you're going to wear club ta uh, blaze tasers that I mean <laughs> maybe, that could get maybe, the players motivated to be fair I there mean, are some players that might benefit from he, that yeah. 
maybe that's how he coached the defense uh, <laughs> but you know and he did the whole club blazers and ties thing and don't get me wrong that's not why arsenal were revitalized but i think you could make an argument that at that point the club needed that that it had lost its identity a little bit and graham brought it back and you could argue i think that arsenal are in a similar position now where they've kind of lost a little bit of that that identity and what makes them special and Rao talked about this a lot as well he said like look we've got history here and he said like this is you know he's like this i'm not saying that this is what i'm happy about and this is everything i want but you know he's like we've got like photos on the wall we've got trophies we've got legends and, and everything like that and he said but we need to use that as a positive and uh without mentioning names he said there are some big teams out there, out there at the moment spending lots of money winning lots of trophies but they don't have any of that and he said let me tell you because i speak to them they would kill to have that and we and he was talking about using that as strength and not weakness so i think you know it's it's an intangible right it's it's a bit like saying you know mental strength on the football pitch you can never actually tell how important it is and it can only ever be one or two percent at the most but i think there is an argument that maybe at certain times those interventions are helpful but you're right like competence is the absolute you know, bottom line. Yeah, I mean, look, if Frank Lampard never played for Chelsea, he wouldn't be Chelsea manager. If Solskjaer no. hadn't played for United, he wouldn't be United manager, so on and so forth. I, I will say this. Anyone who's ever worked in a company knows that company culture does matter. A toxic culture leads mm. to toxic results, and, and the opposite is true as well. And so if by bringing these people back who can speak to the history of the club and how big the club felt and everything it achieved and make people feel like they're a part of a really special organization and maybe just turn the tide from feeling like you're at a second-rate club that's in the Europa League to feeling like you're somewhere that really matters and is really special and has a big history and can return to that, you know, maybe that turns some things around. I mean, does that help you beat Liverpool at Anfield? Probably not. But does it help no. You know, maybe create the camaraderie and the spirit that you don't lay down and, and lose the lead to Brighton at home late in the season. Maybe it does. I don't know. I mean, that is a yeah, very hard and, thing to evaluate. Yeah, go ahead. And one of the things um, Edu talked about as well, actually, and this was one of the lines he clearly wanted to get out was he was saying, look, yeah, my job is about the medium term, the long term. Yes. It's about, um, scouting it's about the academy which i'll talk about a little bit more in a minute because they talked about that a lot i do want to hear about that um, yes. but he said like and you know i know he said I, he, he was kind of saying i know you're all looking at me thinking oh this is the guy that's going to make signings but he made I, th I think a good point that needs making was actually the most important people we have at the club are the players we have now because like signings are about the future and that's great but a big part of my job is looking at the guys we already have and helping to make, you know, helping to make them better, helping them, you know, to make them feel important because they are the most important people at the club, whether you like them or rate them or not, they are our most important asset. And I think that was quite interesting because I think everyone knows that the technical director role is, is quite long and medium term, but he was talking about, look, I am here for the now as well. And I am, I am here for the, the players we already have. See, that's interesting to me because I think Emery could use an angel on his shoulder. I, I, I think maybe tactically yep. there are things I don't love about him. There are things he absolutely gets right in some of the big games and maybe doesn't get as right in the small games. We could debate that till we're blue in the face and will all season long. I am sure. But I'm not sure how he is as a man manager. I'm not sure yeah. how he is in terms of really putting players in the best situation to succeed in terms of all the players. There are certainly some players who thrived under him, ironically Ramsey being one of them. But 
I think it would be interesting having that angel on his shoulder where Adu can give Emery a nudge in a direction with a certain player and just kind of help manage him yep. through certain challenges with a player like a Mesedozo, for example, with the rotation of the strikers maybe, with utilizing some of those young academy players better. And and while technical director, for me, first and foremost, has to be looking down the road at the future, building the squad of the future, mm-hmm. I think Emery could use that help, and I'm happy for it. I think we should move on yeah. uh, to some of the takeaways you got in terms of the actual questions that were answered. We'll save for the end the tone of the Q&A because I just want to get your feeling about mm-hmm. the general tone and how it impacted um, you know, the panel on the dais and also just in general your feeling about how people handled this moment to interact with the club. But let's save that for the end and b- before we get to that, mm-hmm. certain takeaways. You mentioned the academy. So what are, what are some of the comments you made about the academy that stuck out to you? Because he clearly emphasized it in that uh, video interview that came out a few months ago. Yeah, so... Obviously, they will always go into these things with some lines that they want to get out and that they want to weave into as many answers as possible. And the academy was one of the recurring themes, even when they I mean, I don't think they were asked a single question about the academy per se, but they mentioned it a lot. So the first, you know, the very first almost icebreaker question was about the US tour. Rao started talking immediately about the young players and saying, you know, this is what we want, but we need to protect them as well. But, you know, they're they're all integrating into the group really well we've made some appointments with exactly this in mind you know they talked about freddie lundberg they talked about edu's role in you know in terms of overseeing the academy knowing what's there and basically knowing what's there and telling emery what's there um and i think what's interesting you know you've heard from some of the younger players that emery and and i think this is by design really doesn't even really talk to them i'm i'm not sure he really talks to anyone so i think you're right in that comment you made about edu kind of you know, he's suggesting that he's going to have a hands-on player relationship, almost player liaison type role. Um, and you heard some of the young players this summer saying, oh, it's not really Unai that talks to us, it's Freddie Lundberg. And so, like, it's almost like we've got these intermediaries. Um, and, I, and I think the academy is certainly, you know, they were certainly positioning um, the academy and talking about that and talking about integrating those players better, both on a personal and a coaching level. Um, and and Raul did also talk about, you know, selling um, play. You know, he, he didn't go into that that much, but he did say, you know, as well about it creates a bit of a market for us. Um, and, and this, again, this is all stuff we've probably worked out for ourselves, but they 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 really really the two big things i think they really wanted to get out were about the academy and again this is positioning because they're basically saying you know we're going to be using a lot of these guys probably by necessity um and the other big thing they wanted to get out was that they've made loads of changes and it's going to take a little while to settle down and that we're not going to see instant results and they were kind of saying even next season you know we we've had like last season which was a bit up and down and they were kind of saying you know this season's not going to be perfect either it's going to take a little while um for this all to settle down but you know kind of pleading for patience i think those are the two big things that they wanted to get out yeah well that that is interesting i mean i guess then we should move on to some of the questions that were asked by the supporters and before we get on to the tone of them were there any questions that you felt caught the panel off guard or maybe produced a more honest answer than you might have expected? Was there was there anything that was teased out that you think might have otherwise slipped through the cracks? 
so I think the centre half question um, maybe caught them a little bit off guard. Like I think Rao was fairly open about that. Um, there was also like there was a question about like the club short termism over the last few years, but uh, you know that I I think they kind of spoke around that um, a little bit. The the interesting ones I think were. So there was a really long rambling question, but like eventually when this guy had been talking for about two and a half minutes, this, this woman by, by the just, way, I'm just yelled out. Stop you for a second. If that guy is a uh, listener, uh, we love you and we appreciate <laughs> you. And by no means do Tim's comments reflect the feelings of the panel as a whole. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> so after about two and a half minutes, this woman at the back just shouted, what's your question? <laughs> and, uh, and, he just, and he just said like, where's all the money? <laughs> Um, you know, asking about like the forty-five million pound budget, and and you know, Vin, I said like very directly, I don't recognise this figure. That doesn't come from us. I read about this figure all the time. I don't recognise it. Um, you know, just like I read loads of things that that don't bear any any truth. So that was quite interesting. He seemed to be refuting that, but obviously, you know, actually, I think the figure's forty-five million that's been out there now. <laughs> Listen, the club know that people like Swiss Ramble and the AST analysis of the accounts are very, very good. They know it. They admit it. They've admitted it publicly many times. Um, but, you know, and so when Vin, I said, I don't recognize this figure, it could be because it's like 46 million. You know, yeah. <laughs> he could justifiably say no, that figure's completely wrong. It's it's a million out. Um, but he, he was still like fairly. And I think possibly maybe what he was getting into was like, look, even if that is what we've got to spend like you know in terms of liquid cash that doesn't mean that that's the absolute limit of what we can spend because you know it's a bit like going into your overdraft if you're prepared to go into a bit of debt you can spend more um so i don't know if there was some of that so i I think i think that one was quite was quite interesting the other interesting one again because it was a direct question was about safe standing and actually vinai didn't bat this away as much as gazidis used to so you know he said all the things again we already know that the stadium wasn't built with it in mind because nobody thought it was going to happen in 2006 but he said look we're looking at it but we've got to look at you know he said effectively they're doing a bit of a feasibility study about how many seats they'd have to lose how it would impact on capacity etc etc so he said we're he said his words were we're we're behind it in principle but until we've done the feasibility study, we can't absolutely say we're going to do it. And obviously, like the government has to has to like change legislation for it to happen. So, again, not like hugely revealing, but a bit more positive on that than than the previous executives ever ever were. Interesting. And so, I mean, in general, you know, the, unless there's another question you specifically want to get to, I guess we should touch on this. And I want mm. to be a little bit delicate because it is very easy to yeah, yeah. Um, criticize other people's emotional reactions to certain situations yeah. while, you know, not necessarily holding yourself up to the same uh, standards. And, and a great example of that might be, I know there are a lot of people that have been, you know, on social media expressing displeasure with sort of the rude tone of some of the people in the room. But, you know, ironically, I've seen that from some people who are on this side of the pond, for example, Americans. I'm, I'm not calling out Americans. I'm just saying it because of what I'm about to say, which is the same people who were, like, giving the middle finger to Stan and Josh Kroenke in the stadium or booing Mustafi as he warmed up as a sub. And whether mm. you think those things are justified or, or maybe you think they're unrelated, it's the point that general um, decorum 
is something that is easy to evaluate from afar, but sometimes is different when you're up close. So in terms of decorum, do you feel that there was a lack, a general lack of respectful decorum in the way some of the questions were answered and the way some people shouted down the panel at at various times? I mean, a a little bit, yeah. I I, I completely take your point. And, and, you know, having had like a bit of a moan about it, it, I I suppose it's just like a bit of a frustration more, not so much about the tone, because I get it, like I, I get, people getting annoyed and things like that it, it's more about like people just like not asking questions just like taking the microphone and talking about how long they've been a fan and how long yeah, they've been going and me. how frustrated mm-hmm. they are and it's yeah. like look read the room no nobody like ask the question then let someone else ask a question this is a very rare opportunity for all for us all to hold them directly to account but it's you know it's not because these people are like bad people and look not everyone has like great microphone craft not everyone is like a politician or a public speaker or anything like that i get that like i'm not expecting like a level of like professional like super slick professional questions and people will get emotional and yeah there there was a bit of shouting down and stuff which is uh, which i think always like brings things to a close it makes it easier to shut things down but it's you know it's one of those it's one of those things isn't it you can't really control the behavior of crowds it's a bit like if you you know if you get busy public transport in rush hour you know everyone's rushing around and it changes everyone's behavior and everyone gets more frantic and less considerate and when you're panicked and stressed like you know decorum is one of the first things to go um that that's just very natural so i I think you're right i think for me it's more possibly like a a bit of just a frustration of oh will you stop rambling on and you know from my point of view i you know i i I used to be an investigator right so like it's probably like a slightly snobbish thing um on on my part like i was trained to ask questions um so like when you're trained to do something like that you pick up bad practice in others very very easily and i'm sure there's a million things that i do (laughs) that you know in terms of elocution and things like that that other people are trained in and they think oh god will you stop doing that that's really bad practice you know so it's, Mm. it's more likely to become a foible for you um so i i didn't really have a huge problem with the tone of the questions that were asked people are annoyed and i think rightly so um, you know, I, again, I literally wrote a column a week ago called We Care You Don't, which was effectively a 1200 word rant about, you know, Arsenal is an investment vehicle and the owners don't care and things like that. So, like, I I share that frustration and, and I totally take the please stop wibbling into the microphone for three minutes. He says, having wibbled into his own microphone for three minutes. Um, 30, 31 minutes to, at this point just for the record. <laughs> to to you know ask your question and everything the, the the thing i had a problem with personally and this is not just because you know of my quote-unquote connection to the women's team is when joe montemoro came in you know l- lots of people filed out which is kind of fine not everyone has to care about that but loads of people just started talking in their seats like as if to say oh well i don't care about this so nobody else does and it was it was a real i thought lack of courtesy um to joe and to the people who wanted to actually sit there and listen to him there were there are quite a few times where even i had to yell like shut up like if you, you know well you, you know don't... my take on this too i mean look you got a bunch of people in the room who are there presumably because of their intense love for and support for mm. the club that is arsenal and all of these things that are supposed to be related to arsenal and stand for arsenal one of the reasons for their outrage is they don't feel that arsenal stands for the things they want it to stand for anymore and here's the coach 
of the most successful part of that club right yeah. now. A really and interesting and intelligent man who's going to speak to you about a part of the club that is actually leading the way in a very real yep. and important sense, and and you're going to just walk out or talk over that. That kind of undermines your claim to being a super fan. And absolutely, absolutely. And Joe talked about this because you know he he grew up as as an Arsenal fan. He's he's from Italian kind of background, and and you know he was talking about oh, I've met Liam Brady tonight. He was my idol when I was younger. Um, but one of the things um, he he talks about, I know he talks about this a lot with the players about like representing Arsenal you know almost like George Graham-esque that whole ties and blazers thing it's like look at where you work every day look at who you play for look at that like lovely big badge when you drive into the training ground and he drills it into those players like look at how privileged you are to come and play for Arsenal and when he talks about stuff like that and we talk about the disconnection and disengagement as fans and how we feel like we've lost that identity. And here's someone from the other side of the world who 100% espouses it. And I promise you, he does it every single time you talk to him. Um, he talks about like, he, you know, he, he uses the word brand unabashedly about Arsenal. He always has done. He talks about like brand of football. We want the Arsenal, like we want to represent the Arsenal brand. Like this is a guy who I think really gets it. And and you're right. It was it was very disappointing, um, you know, that so many people, not that they just didn't want to listen to that, because again, I I get that not everyone. You're allowed to be interested in what you're interested that, in. But, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like you know, just to like <laughs> talk over him while he's talking about why he's saying these things that I think they'd be really interested in, whether they're interested in like the ins and outs of the women's team or not. He was, I think he he was saying something that would have really appealed to them, and I th I thought it was kind of a shame that. Um, that there was kind of a lack of courtesy there, I mm. guess. That that was the thing that annoyed me. Look, Tim, people get really mad at me that I interrupt you guys, and you're just a panel <laughs> of regular guys talking into a microphone, and this is a coach of an Arsenal team. Come on. Um, hey, uh, just as a final point then, uh, while I never think that anybody should... I shouldn't say never. Well, I think in general, a lack of decorum and rudeness and, and open expressions of anger towards people in these settings is unpleasant. If you had to look at a potential positive to come from that, do you think in any respect, or is this just pure uh, putting a positive spin on it, that, that that kind of behavior, that kind of reaction, some of the shouting down, some of the anger that transmitted itself to the dais, do you think it is a wake-up call for Edu, Raul, and Vinay in terms of the delta between the hope and optimism they may have for the direction of the club and the very real sense of frustration among the support? So I don't think it was news to Raul and Vinay. Raul and Vinay have attended a few fans forums and things like that. And, you know, Raul told like a little anecdote about the last fans forum I was at. I had to stop people who kept asking me, like Arsenal fans who kept asking me, why on earth did you leave Barcelona for Arsenal? And he was saying, look, we have to stop like trashing our club like this because I did leave Barca for Arsenal. And, you know, I I didn't have to do that and I did it because you know I was, I was attracted to this project and everything but so I, I think they've had enough interaction with with fans this was their first like supporters club Q&A in, in this kind of environment but I, I think 
I think those two have got their ears to the ground about it a little. It, it may have been a bit of a shock for Edu, who's only been at the club for a few days, and obviously it's a different club to the one he left 14 years ago. So maybe it was a bit of a shock to him. But listen, he's been working. He's been doing this role in Brazil for over a decade. And I promise you, if you think that Arsenal is a hostile environment, then, you know, he worked for Corinthians when um, some Corinthians fans were so unhappy with Alessandro Pato that about 50 of them broke into the training ground with crowbars um, to, to try and get him, basically. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, a, a bit of kind of shouting down at a Q&A. It might have given Edu um, a sense of the very real frustration, but I don't think it's anything he hasn't seen before. Um, so, it's, you know, so I, I think there's there's kind of all of that to it. Uh, they didn't talk about this, but I guess my one hope is that I hope that at least Josh is not as distant as Stan. And I do hear things about, you know, he's in London once a month. He's at Colney once a month. He's he's more regularly in touch with, you know, the executive branch. They, they didn't talk about the Cronkies at all. Um who are kind of, you know, it would have been nice for Josh to be there, really, I think. But um, there we go. But, I, you know, I, I think that's the hope because really we've got to hope these guys know what they're doing um, and that if they don't, Josh will be more on top of it than Stan was with the previous incumbents. All you can ask for, I think, at this point from ownership is more engagement. And I don't mean engagement yep. like hashtag engagement, like tweeting at us. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally like being engaged with the day to day operations of the club. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's realistic to say all you can ask for from them is 100 million pounds in cash, but you can mm -hmm. ask for a little more engagement involvement. And if that's happening, then that's a positive. So before we let you go, Tim, um, do you want to weigh in on, on anything that's happened? I mean, the in particular, Ceballos and, and Saliba deals, you feeling pretty positive about both of those? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Obviously, it's not absolutely ideal that like we have to loan one back uh, and we've only got the other one on loan i, I think the sabios one is actually a, a really good deal he sounds like exactly the sort of player i think we need i he he sounds like he's got a spikiness to him in terms of his character as well and i i like that like i like that in you know i kind of like the fact that he's saying no i haven't given up on real madrid and and i hope that that's a really good sign that at least for the season we have him he's super motivated um, you know, we talked this time last year, didn't we, about Gendouzi kind of being the sort of guy who says, I don't care if I'm 19 and I played in Ligue 2, like I should be playing. And and I think we do need a bit more of that. Um, and, you know, look, it, it's also just a consequence of where we are. We can't buy Ceballos at the moment because we don't have the money and we're not attractive enough. And, you know, we have to be looking at deals like Saliba for the long term. So, yeah, I you know, I I think I'm... Uh, Rao said, you know, at the Q&A, they're obviously both very different types of signings with very different expectations. But I'm I'm broadly pretty positive about both of them. It it doesn't mean we should be anywhere near finished because um, really only one of those is actually going to improve our team next season. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm I, I'm pretty positive uh, about both of them. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, good to hear. Well, Tim's on Twitter. at Stilberto. Thanks as always, Tim. My pleasure. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll obviously be doing 
A lot more coming up. We'll have our huge monster loaded out season preview episode uh, just a little bit further down the line. Between now and then, obviously, we'll be covering the preseason games. But I do want to let you know we're trying to do a lot of fun stuff, and, and hopefully um, we're putting out enough pods for you. we got a YouTube show next week planned, a special YouTube show that I'm going to keep secret for a little bit. But if you want to know more about Saliba, Scott at uh, O underscore that underscore crab did an amazing uh, scouting video for Saliba that is available for patrons, and then we did an episode to talk about it, the Ceballos arrival, and some Nicholas Pepe rumors. So that's on Patreon. Later today on Patreon, Giant Gooner, uh, Matt, is coming on to do a really deep statistical dive on Ceballos, who he is, the kind of player he is based on the data, and we'll get into all the nitty-gritty about that, get granular on positioning, where he might play for us, whose position he might be taking, and the impact he could have. So if you've been interested in Patreon, it might be a good time to try it. If you are not, totally understand Totally appreciate it. No big deal. We love you, and we're glad that you're here for this, and that's what matters. So either way, lots of good stuff, and hopefully um, lots of good stuff to come from Arsenal in the days to come. So we will take a break. When we get back, Paul will join. Clive will join. We'll talk um, the Ozil situation probably just a little bit, the Ozil-Cola situation, because I think it deserves a mention. We'll talk about the Madrid game, and of course, the arrival of our two vaunted signings, uh, one of whom will not play for us, and the other will only play for us for a season. But they're still signings, and we're going to talk about it. So stay with us. We'll be back right after this. We're back, and now the show can start in earnest because we've got Paul here. He's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Was just filling Clive's head with uh, all kinds of uh, positive reinforcement about all the great comments and messages and, and reviews he gets, so he will be impossible to live with this episode. But how will that be different yeah, from any yeah. other episode? Look, if you could go to your podcast player and, and give us a five-star review, we would love it. And if you could say something nice about me, that would be fine because what I'm noticing increasingly is that people don't really like me. No, I get it. I'm not particularly, what's the word I'm looking for here? Likeable? But, you know, I mean, you don't want me just whimpering into the microphone. I mean, maybe you do. In that case, write more nasty things about me. Just give us a five-star view. That's what matters most. Um, in any event, we love you, and we're going to get on to a variety of topics. So I want to start in sort of a weird place just because it is top of the news, and I think we have to address it. And I don't think it needs a deep discussion. But for God's sakes, Clive. That's some scary shit that just went on with Ozil and Kolasinac the other day. You know, it is easy mm. to joke around about it and make light of it, but it is also easy to see how that could have ended in, I mean, serious bodily harm, death. I don't, you know, it, it's one of those things that it, from a distance on social media, anything can become a meme or a joke, but that's really scary stuff. Yeah, it, it is, and I'm afraid it's a, a microcosm of some parts of life, you know, of London life, really. Um, this sort of scooter crime is really prevalent. You know, people stealing phones and uh, carjacking. And but did you see the size of those knives? I mean, joking. That's, that is no joke. Uh, that's a butcher that knife. No yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's scary. No. I mean, look, the, the or, funny... Or as Colin Sinatch calls them, toothpicks. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Paul, I mean, mm. here's the interesting thing, right? There's a part of me that first is like, yeah, Cola, and you're the man, and fuck yeah, that's awesome. And then there's a part of me that's sort of like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't attack yeah. the guy with a huge knife. I mean, this is one of those situations that leads me to wonder, does the club have a responsibility to be providing any more security, or is it a simple fact that as a citizen of society where there is crime, and let's remind everybody, there's crime everywhere. We're not going to get political about this, but there's crime everywhere. Um, you know, is it fair for the club to be expected to shield their players from all crime at all times? 
Yeah, I mean, there's loads of questions there. Um, it, it's a shocker to me. I lived in England for like five years, spent a lot of time in London. Uh, things, are, I, I don't know, things have, have really escalated there. I can't relate to this knife crime stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was a, a lot of jokes around Colosinac, but it's hard, right? If you see the video, the video, the video is kind of almost comedic, and there's Colosinac handles it so well, and the guys on the bikes look like they're about to shit themselves. So you get the reactions from I think the people watch the video, but then you read the story and you realize just how much fucking trouble there was, um, and you know them pursuing Ozil uh, in the vehicle, and he's running into the restaurant with. Uh, I believe it's their two two wives or women with yeah. are with mm -hmm. them. Um, I mean that's scary shit. And then they run into this Turkish restaurant that he frequents and he knows. I mean that's kind of. I, I mean there's just an amazing story around this that that he would he would do that run away from them uh, into a Turkish restaurant. The staff then all pile up to the front because uh, they all. Uh, no Ozil, obviously, and they're like, you, this is fucking movie, movie scene stuff. Um, and, you know, the moped guys then do a fucking runner. But why would they keep going? I mean, it's, it, there's just so many angles and questions to it. I mean, at, at some point, you'd think the moped guys would say, we picked the wrong fucking fight here and the wrong people here. Um, do they actually think they're not going to get caught? That guy gets paid 350k a week. They don't think he has the resources to track them down. Do they know what they were doing? Do they know what they were getting into? I mean, I hope they're hung up by their fucking balls. Um, they don't care, Paul. They don't care, yeah. mate. Yeah, well, um, it's a much bigger social discussion about people yeah. that are feeling completely disenfranchised and left behind by society and when it comes to it they saw they wanted that car it's a very popular car they wanted that car they don't care anyone who frequents the Hornsey Road by the Tollington and we all see us will come past every single home game we all know what cars he's got we all know what cars he's got, and if we all know, other people know, and um, and it, and it's just, it's just, I'm afraid to say, it's parts of London life, and that's yeah. what's happening. That's yeah, what's there, were, happening there were lots there. of jokes, obviously, about Colas and Action. Like there, there's a humor side. I mean, you gotta, you gotta have a sense of well, humor. Well, you, you gotta laugh to is, stop from crying, right? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of fucking tension that comes with this, and there's gallows humor. The joke that wasn't made was about. Uh, Ozil knows how to find space, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, he knows how to protect the ball, and he knows how to find space, and that's what he did. He did the fucking smart thing and got the women, women out of there, got himself out of there, and, uh, you know, he, he, he went into a pocket of space. He does what he does naturally, and I think, you know, everybody's second-guessing guess, what went on. There were a lot of stupid comments, but you just can't second guess people in that situation. Even, you know, Kalasinacha, I hear exactly what you're saying, Elliot. Uh, I mean, it's a terrible example in one way. On the other hand, that's probably what you're going to do if you're, if you're built like Kalasinacha, if that's how you're made. Um, you're just going to react in the instant. I mean, you see them coming off the bike with that fucking long knife. He's going to do what he did. You're not going to, you know, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the, the other thing about this, too, is there is a cultural divide here for me as an American because if something like this goes down in America, and let's not pretend this is just about London. This happens all over the world, and it happens in this country. And the, the biggest difference to me listening to this is this would be gun crime if it was here. 
you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that ends quite differently. I do think that these footballers maybe have to appreciate that they are targets because there is the expectation that they'll be wearing $50,000 watches, driving $200,000 cars, carrying loads of cash, you know, that their wives or girlfriends will be wearing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry. And while it is never your responsibility to not be a target for crime, it is the responsible of society to protect you from crime and of criminals not to commit crime. I wonder if it just gives them a little think about how they travel and, and making themselves less of a target. I mean, Clive, in just in terms of going forward, do you think, you know, there was a picture that Kolsi Natch tweeted out of him and, and Ozil sort of smiling and, and sort of joking about it, he, you know, a fist emoji. I mean, I get the sense that they came through this all right. Do you worry at all about this having a knock-on effect? I mean, psychologically, this can, this can really be damaging to you. It could be. Um, when you sit back and realize afterwards, but I've got a funny feeling that psychologically, uh, Colosseum is uh, quite comfortable in those type of scenarios. If you, you know, let's not mess about here. The guy was seriously moving his feet to fight somebody. He is not someone that has not done this before. He looked pretty comfortable in that in what was going on. I know adrenaline takes over. And um, for Ozo, who's just finding, refinding his mentality, I hope he doesn't put him back into a place where um, he, you know, can be a little bit aloof and adrift from from what he's done in the first two, two or three games I've seen him. So, um, yeah, you know what? It's it, it it's life, and sometimes it, it, you just can't you can't explain why these things happen to you. But it happens to people all the time. One of my one of my neighbours got, got his BMW carjacked near where I live, and it's like wow, it, it makes you think about what's going on in the world, right? But um, head up, it's really on. scary. That is really scary. I mean, it's funny. You can't be trapped. Because I moved to New York City in 1997, and uh, you know when I was four years old. Uh, <laughs> no, that was after college. Yeah, I'm an old guy too. Um, but, uh, you know, that was right after the period. So Rudy Giuliani became mayor, and we don't have to get into the politics of whether you liked him or didn't like him. But in the era just before when I moved there, there was literally something called mugging culture, where you'd carry mugging cash in a certain pocket so that when you got mugged, you gave them the mugging cash. It was very transactional and very expected. And literally, like, this stuff went on all the time, and it's just crazy that people live that way. Thankfully, it's changed a lot, but it is what it is. Let, let's move on, and hopefully Sad and, and Messit are okay, emotionally okay. I'm glad they came through it all right. And, you know, look, I know it sounds crazy to, to overthink this stuff, but maybe, just maybe, there's also an aspect to this. I, they're already close friends, but if it enhances sort of Kosi Natch's reputation within the squad and, and makes him feel more like a leader, then God bless. I mean, you try to find positives from things like this. But let's get on to the football. Before we talk it makes to them real. I think that's what it does. Yeah, it certainly humanizes them. Absolutely. And I think all the comments yesterday, not all of them, because it's, it's social media, the overwhelming majority were supportive of the two of them, supportive of Kosi Natch and what he did to protect his friend and his family. Um, and that's great to see, you know, everyone coming together like that. So on to the football. Before we get to the Madrid game, let's get to the transfers. I want to start with the Ceballos deal. Paul, this is a guy that I think all of us on the pod were universally excited about. But before we talk about him, the player, how do you feel about Arsenal relying on a loan move? I think there are some people that just generally feel that a loan is beneath the club in some way or another, not a transaction that is befitting the size of the club, that we should be looking to go buy players, that getting this guy in on loan is you know, is not something that's deserving of credit. My personal take is that it's a savvy way to extend a budget that is limited through no fault of Raul or Vinay or Edu or, or Emery. How do you feel about the use of the loan market this way? Uh, for Tobias. Tobias, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. 
I've been practicing after his video yesterday. I'm, I'm going to be very, very on that on the pod. Um, look, I, I I think it's a savvy move. It's it's not ideal because we've we've seen with our own players going on loan from the player standpoint. Um, you're basically a second citizen, um, possibly a third citizen. So, uh, and that that works both ways. It means the squad the squad you're going to doesn't usually take full advantage of your capabilities. Um, so, I think in general, I'm not too keen on it, and I understand people being uh, holding their nose at the idea that we have to get a lone player for a key position. I mean, you could argue this is replacing Ramsey, who uh, was and should have been even more key to us last season. Um, And you could argue this is very much the function of the fact that we didn't get a fee for Ramsey. We should have got 30, 40, who knows what million for for Ramsey leaving the club, but we didn't do that. Um, That's all true, but it's as, as a... A, a, a wise man I once knew always said, you're at where you're at. So we're at where we're at. They did what they could. Um, I think he's a perfect player for us. When I think in most scenarios where we, when we've said, what player would you most want, what role would you most want to add to the squad? I'll generally go for a really top class midfielder. A, the, the kind of piece you can put in a midfield that everybody else can play with. And we've still... We have some good midfielders, but we haven't solved our midfield conundrums by any means. Mm. And to me, from what I can see of Tobias, um, he is the kind of player who can play with basically anybody else we've got in our midfield. And we haven't that, had that with one since Santi. And even Santi had his quirks, right? He's, he wasn't the biggest guy. He could play with everybody, but he, he, he still wasn't quite the... the uh, the all-singing and all-dancing midfielder. He just happened to be brilliant. Before that, you had Arteta, and he tended to be a, sit a little deeper and didn't have the full range um, that an all-singing, all-dancing... Oh, also, he was a little older. I think this is the first time since maybe Fabregas we've had an all-singing, all-dancing midfielder. I think it's brilliant business. Emery knows him. They'll click. Um, so I don't think this will be like AN other loan at least i'm hopeful it won't be i think very quickly this guy can play a role and become mm. a full member i i think he'll prove himself on the pitch he may not start the other good thing is he has the chance to get in before we've really got our season going and nail down a place when other midfielders aren't there and i'm i'm, I'm not talking against the midfielders who aren't there Gendouzi or whatever but it does open the window for him to start to play a role prove himself out and if he clicks the way he should click, um, you know, he makes his own case within the squad. I mean, there is a hierarchy. There are players who are established. There are players who will be pissed off that all things being equal, they're not starting ahead of him because actually they're on our books and we'll be there when this guy's gone probably in a year's time. So there are a number of things against him getting the full usage he should. But I think he his his ability to impact play, he'll very quickly prove himself. And the squad in general will accept that it makes sense that he, we play him uh, whenever it makes sense. And that'll be often. Uh, I yeah. think he could be a real starter for us throughout this season, despite the fact he's a lone player. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I take issue with calling him an all-singing, all-dancing midfielder only because I, I think, well, and it's unclear. Look, I don't... I don't know that he can do the final third part of the job. 
I think he can do the middle third. But what's ironic is for Madrid... I he, agree with that. But, but what he, here's what's interesting. For Madrid, he basically didn't do anything in the final third. Basically didn't score. Basically didn't assist. I think he played three through balls ever. Like literally ever. Three. Um, he, he's but, never in the box. I mean, but, I've watched but for, hours and hours of him. He never goes in the box. But for Spain, he adds that, which is interesting. He played more of a number 10 role, more advanced, and added some end product for Spain. So Under 21s, though, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. And, that, and that's really the question is, can he add that to his game at club level and be more of the Ramsey replacement in the final third, more of an Ozil alternative with more drive and more pressing and more, press, uh, more running? Or is he more of a Shaka replacement, someone who adds athleticism and movement to a position that's been very static? I mean, he is a player who does turn the ball over a bit and, and lost the ball and yeah. was dribbled past a bit. So, you know, And I think he's an all-singing and all-dancing central midfielder. Yeah, he, fair enough. He really operates getting you from the middle third to the final third. And then if you're laying siege to a a team that's sitting deep. He's not going to do the killer ball into the six-yard box. He's the guy folding the passes, moving it from side to side, uh, and he doesn't do big swinging passes. It's all quick, fast. You know, he'll do flicks and twists and turns, and he'll beat a guy, but only for the purpose of of kind of getting that next ball. He's kind of he's a, he's not even really a pre-assister. He's a pre-pre-assister. I mean, oh, just he'll accelerate. <laughs> Well, <laughs> but I think you're trying to solve a different problem. No, I get, I get you. Us. I just pre 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 pre. We haven't fixed that problem. Our yeah. midfield is bog average most of the time. We should have the best operating midfield in terms of passing, uh, acceleration. He he would beat a guy and make a quick pass and set it off. Whereas uh, somebody like uh, Santi might have struck. You know scorched up the middle, haven't beaten one guy, beat another guy, and then lay a ball off just just as he's getting into the box. Mm. Uh, Sabalas passes really quickly, moves it on. He, he, he'll just, he's a, like an accelerator pedal to the passing movement. He's high touch, high pass, gets rid of it quickly, gets us accelerated. He'll be really good on the counter, starting a counter. Yeah. He, he's going to be the platform for our final third players. That's yeah. the way I see him. And, and that's I think why, it's great. Yeah, and that's why I like him as a potential Shaka alternative because I, I still think we can play on the on the first touch more, move the ball quicker, elude pressure, and um, and progress the ball quicker. No one's going to give you what Shaka does in terms of deep distribution from uh, or long distribution from deep, but I think if we can replace that with better pace of movement of the ball, uh, upping the tempo, I would love that. So, Clive, for you... What qualities of his game do you think improve us, and what position do you think you see that slotting into the most? Maybe, you know, who who could be vulnerable to to their minutes being taken up by him? I think it's a smart move. Um, the reason why I think it allows two players to develop in our academy, in, in Smith Rowe and, and Willock, so it allows them one more year to maybe one more guy and learn about. Stay. I think Willett will stay, but he'll allow him to have really good, strong minutes in some of the games we want him to have minutes in, knowing that for some of the more, ex- we need a bit more experience, we have a player that can come into midfield and, and play that role. I, I don't, I see Shaka as a six, I don't see Sabias as a six, although there may be three Sabias we're talking about here. There was a player a few years ago playing for Real Betis when he was a behind the ball midfielder at all times. 
Yeah. Right? That's what he was. Then there's the Real Madrid midfielder. Well, you're at Real Madrid. You've got Isco, Bale, Modric, Cruz, Ronaldo, Benzema. Should I just keep going on? I'll tell you where you stand. You stand exactly where those guys are not standing. That's where you play. Do you see what I mean? And and he is a junior player. So I wouldn't take a I wouldn't take an identity, a strong identity from the Madrid game, because he is a junior player in that system. He's a player that plays the League Cup games for them, if you see what I mean, the smaller games. So I think it's a, a bit of a mixed picture. I think the player that we're signing is the player given responsibility. And the closest we've seen for of that when he's given responsibility is playing for Spain under twenty ones. So I see him as more as an eight ten rather than a 6-8. that makes sense, Elliot? And Paul, because I see him in that role, and I've watched him in that role, and I think his skill set suits that role. And I think he and I just think he has an amazing ability to create a yard for a pass. He's got he's got the older satellite dish on, Cesc Fabregas style when people are rushing him. So he's but he's much better press resistant, similar to Santi on the dribble. And he's got a banging shot. So yes he's got Ramsey's shirt, but Ramsey played that role in a he played it in an off-the-ball way. Mm. So now we have an on-the-ball player that can help us progress. And what did we talk about the other week, Elliot, about ball progression and getting, in, and getting shots, right? This is exactly what we need. People that can help us with our build-up in, in a non-passing way. Have the ability to manage ourselves out of the press. Pop, pop, off we go. Let's get it to our danger, men. So I think it's a very smart signing from a... From a stylistic point of view, but also from a development point of view. So that, that, I'm saying that based on the fact that we think he's going back. And there are rumours that if he plays a certain amount of games, 30 games, then there's an option to buy that gets triggered. Right? So that's what I've read. But I don't know how true that is. Right? So, um, so I'm going to assume he's going back. So if he's going back, that means we have Smithrow and Willock one year nearer the promised land where I feel they have a skill set which is similar between the two of them that we can replace quite quickly. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll say, I was with you completely, Clive. I, I was sort of of the opinion there's just no way he stays with us because either the loan doesn't work out and we don't want to buy him or the loan does work out and Madrid want to reincorporate him and, of course, he wants to be at Madrid. In talking to Scott for the, the thing we did on Patreon, like he, he sort of suggested that he felt it could be a case where it does work out. He likes playing a lot. He likes succeeding mm. with Arsenal, maybe helps us into the Champions League, sees more of a future here in the short term, and decides he wants to stay and we can work something out with Madrid. Um, you know, and, and he pointed to the Kovacic situation at Chelsea as an example. So, I mean, maybe that is possible. I'm not, I'm not totally sure yeah. I agree. but I think it, I think it is possible. And the guy and Zidane to... don't get on. Exactly. I mean, what I'm words, saying to you is, so is that the primary, the primary words we're being fed is that there is no buyback option. But I think there could be in there somewhere within the contract. It's just something that I've read. I don't know if I believe it or not. So I'm just giving you feedback based on the fact that there is no option. That's what we're being fed. But I think there's a good chance if he does well and that he could stay. And I hope that works out. Yeah, well, I mean, I look, first things first, let's get him into the side and improve the weaknesses in our midfield. And I think he does that. He definitely has qualities we have lacked in a variety of positions in midfield. And I think he gives us two areas of flexibility that I'm particularly excited about. One is being able to play that midfield three that, Clive, you've said for a while, we just don't have the players for it. I think now we do. 
I think you can play the 4-3-3 with him. Um, but I think the other thing it does, if we have to go to the back three, which I think is dreadful and I hope we don't have to, but if we do, the only time that ever really worked was with Ramsey in it um, because he was a little more progressive and Shaka could sit and Ramsey could go. And I think maybe you could recreate that with Stabios or what are we saying? Stabios. Stabios. I'm just going to say Stabios. Stabios and, and Torreira or Shaka and Stabios even potentially. So I think it gives us flexibility. I think it lets us play uh, formations that have been trickier. Now I admit with the 4-3-3, you still have the fullback issue to worry about, but maybe Tierney or whatever. Who knows? Um, anyway, l- let's talk Saliba really quickly before we get on to the Madrid game. Uh, Paul, you know, we've talked about Saliba. I don't think there's a lot to get into because we won't see him play for us this season, but he seems to be a guy that everybody is really high on, that has a very, very high ceiling, that can be really, really good. I watched Scott's scouting video for him. He does look really impressive. I mean, are you excited to see the club doing things that protect the future, given that we've been very short-termist in our thinking recently? Yeah, I mean, if he's everything people say, I think Matt Spiro, who follows the French League, said yesterday he was the most exciting thing since, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody very good uh, from a while ago. This guy is apparently the business. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how he develops, though, physically as well. I mean, he's going to get a lot bigger was his first point, um, even in the next 12 months. Uh, I mean, he doesn't look as fleet-footed as Virgil van Dijk. Uh, but he looks pretty mobile. Uh, he looks strong in all the categories, as I understand it, but has plenty of improvement to come. I think it's great that he's n- in many ways. Uh, uh, I mean, I just don't think he'd be ready, even if they'd sell him to us now to go into our league. I think we might ruin him. Just, uh, I think we all know why we might ruin him. Just our dysfunction bleeding into him. Um, that he needs to be come here a more complete player than he than he than he already is so i think it's a perfect move um i don't think we spend a lot of money on him in the first year i think we probably are buying them a few million not not uh half his fee or a third of his fee um they're getting the full use of him in this year i think we pay them a little bit of money and we start paying real money in other years um it's a why wouldn't you kind of deal Uh, i'm sure we're quite capable of moving the money around the shell game when when we need to. Whatever our budget is, whether it's forty-five million or whatever, it's as accountants they can pretty easily move money around. I don't. Th- I bet this t- hasn't taken a penny out of the budget that um, Mr. Emery uh, came into the window with. I think this was a planned deal. Uh, I think. We know that there were serious conversations that started in something like April of this year. So it's not even like it's something that came up uh, when the window or after the window started. I think this one's in plan, isn't part of Emery's budget. I think it costs us nothing, and I think it's a great move. This is exactly the kind of thing we should be doing. The only problem is he would not be the first 17- or 18-year-old the club signed that never ended up doing anything for us at any level. Uh, this guy seems to be a higher caliber guy, but I mean, I was pretty excited about Bielik when he, he came in based on his profile and 20 others who came in at 17 or 18. We've got Martinelli coming in at that age. So still a very young age, but apparently this guy's the real deal um, and is beyond that level. So hopefully he turns into what we hope he should turn into. We'll have him in a year's time. Still actually seems kind of young and still 
still forming based on everything. If what I've already said has merit to it, he'll still be pretty bloody young when we get him next year, and we still have plenty of time to spoil him. So hopefully we get our shit together with a another strong center back to pair with him. Yeah, I mean, I, look, <laughs> the looking at the future is great. We still have to find a way to play in the present, so we still need a yeah. center back. But Clive, I mean, I, I look at everything we've tried to do at, in central defense for years and years mm-hmm. and years and years. There was the trolley dash that brought us Murdisacker. That worked for a bit. He partnered pretty well with Koscielny. Koscielny worked on and off. I think it is inaccurate to say he was flawless. I think he was very good with flaws in his game that were more exploited at times and less exploited at others. But basically, we haven't had a, a, a clue. We haven't had what's the what's the rhyming slang for when you don't you don't know you don't have you don't have a a Scooby you don't have Scooby Doo you don't you don't have you don't have Scoobies about how to how to bring in a center back or develop a center back from our academy so like if we've got a guy who could be a long term solution at a long term pain point for us at a time when other clubs are spending sixty seventy eighty million pounds to bring in established center backs that can dominate for them I, I absolutely love it. Um, and I have no problem with putting it off a season because guess what? We still have to be good next season and the season beyond and the season beyond, and we're paying basically nothing for him now. So, I mean, would you have restructured it to bring him in sooner? Would you have liked to have seen him come in? Do you just want us to go out and get a short-term fix for this season? How do you feel about the way we've structured this deal and the excitement of potentially having a future start center back? Yeah, I I sort of, on this one, I sort of leave it to professionals, really. Uh, We're all desperate. I wouldn't recommend uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a centre back now, um, but it doesn't mean that we should miss an opportunity to get somebody that could be a superstar centre back um, in a year's time. So again, it's it's outsmarting the market. That's what we were told, right? So um, they're trying to look at the market in a different way, and I, I sort of applaud it. It sort of leans towards a little bit of planning. Um, so yeah, the player looks great, doesn't he? I mean, did you see the Instagram video that he did posted himself? I, okay, can, can we break that down a little bit? There are two things I want to ask you about: the the close up of the needle going in the vein and Raúl in the back. Paul noticed Raúl in the background jamming out to to some hip hop music. I mean, that hype video is my everything now. I, I why don't we get more of these? <laughs> Yeah, he just looked. He looked. He looked very good in it. Right. So, so and I think, yeah, you know, it's exciting for the future. And um, yeah, he seems like a, a cool dude. And this is I've got I've got a son that's eighteen, and trust me, he's not like him. Right. So this is a guy that's way ahead of his time. He is super mature, doing things that none of us were doing at eighteen. He's playing in France's top league, and he's running the show back there. The potential is scary absolutely scary if we're buying a player like that and in two years time what's he going to be like um and paul was mentioning that he doesn't may not be quite as fleet as foot as as Virgil van dyke well i watched Virgil van dyke at celtic he used to play half asleep most of the time he was dozing in the team and he's fleet of foot now at 27 this kid is 18 so what's he going to be like he looks pretty quick to me on the videos i've watched but hey that's just football and we'll see what happens when he when he comes over so i i like it I, I just think what we're going to do now with, with the gaps that we have, and I, I feel as though, as fans, we won't be excited until we see the holes filled and there's a hole at centre-half that needs filling and it could increase if our if our club captain decides to go back to the south of France. And I think we we have to do something. And it's not a left-back, you know, and it, it's not a Danny Tobias. It's we have to do something there. And maybe it is another loan. 
maybe it is alone until we can get holding back to to fitness until we can get Saliba in next year. Maybe a smart loan gives us the time and the budget. It helps us in all different ways. So, yeah, that's, I'm watching that space, mate, watching that space. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I, I, I realize that it is hard for people to get excited about something they don't get to watch this season. But let's take a deep breath and be excited that the club are doing some things that improve us long term, given that one of the principal concerns recently has been the short-termist thinking. So before we get onto the Madrid game, which could be a whole podcast in itself, and maybe if there was a competent organizer and host of this, we would have done it that way, but there isn't. Um, let's quickly touch on what the fuck is going on with rumors about Zaha and Pepe and all this shit. So what I'm starting to think is that there is a warring, stalking horse, bitter rumor mill thing going on. We're trying to get Palace to come down to where we need them to be for Zaha, so we put out rumors that we've switched our attention to Pepe. So they put out that Everton have come in with a bid for Zaha. Which of this makes sense, Paul? If you had to put your money on what's real and what's not, is none of it real? Is some of it real? Is all of it just posturing? How does this play out? Um, I don't think the Pepe stuff is remotely credible. And I therefore, I don't think us pretending to be playing the Pepe card um, is... Is feasible. I don't think it's going to impact on Palace. Uh, it just—I mean—the rumor is four clubs have committed to pay eighty million on Pepe. I mean, that's not that—you know—that isn't even going on with Zaha, right? Th- that's not how it works. Four clubs don't sign up at the eighty million uh, pound or dollar level, whatever the fuck it is, um, in a neat line, and then away—you know—one of them's Liverpool. I don't. Are Liverpool going to splash 80 million on Pepe? They don't fucking need him. Um, it just it just doesn't hold water. That just seems like shite on the Pepe side. And there's been a lot of Pepe doing the rounds, talking to all the clubs. I understand that. But it, that one seems like agent talk and not credible and doesn't help us with Zaha. In fact, it might even hurt us because, hey, we got 80 million. So I just don't see Arsenal pushing the we've got 80 million and we've already agreed to spend it on Zaha or, or on Pepe has been a great argument to say why we can only pay 55 million for your, your Zaha guy. But the rumors come in the other way with Everton uh, being at 55 million and willing to go higher. Um, I mean, that's kind of got to be agent talk because you don't say we're bidding 55 million but we're also willing to pay 70 million to your club, which was the, the, the rumor from two days ago. But the Everton stuff seems real. Um, they're quite happy to be out in the market saying, we'll pay what Arsenal will. We're the new Arsenal. In fact, they have our spot we're after. So it's all good news on their side. I think the Everton rumors are probably credible coming from multiple sides and something they do need and would want. Um, the Chelsea would... T- uh, take him and basically loan him back or pre-agree it, 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 that's not right because they can't buy anybody but they might pre-agree for 12 months from now may have some credibility because he wants to say stay in London blah 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 but then he's a year older um, so I think the the Zaha rumors are pretty credible um, and, and probably closely related to truth the other shit's all kind of bogusy agency stuff Um I think that we're clearly focused on Zaha. 
So we see a route to goal here and we're going to up it and we're hoping Zaha will push from the other side. That's the other thing with the rumors. You can't depress Zaha that our attention has gone somewhere else um, if you want him to push to get to Arsenal from his side. So I would imagine there's good communication with Zaha that they have this feel. That's what I always think went wrong with the, sorry to bring up the Suarez at Liverpool thing. That thing all turned sour when Suarez decided he didn't want to push from his side. That's when it all went belly up. Um, Had he decided he was going to push all the way to the end, Liverpool would have had a really ugly situation on their hands. And I think we were assuming Suarez would do what he always said he was going to do. And he he did a U-turn on us. If Zaha pushes all the way through... Uh, we meet in the middle. We we pay more than I want us to pay, but it's somewhere between the eighty million and the forty something million we're at, and it's probably something like sixty million. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, all of that sort of lines up. I mean, Clive, we had a bit of an online, uh, very short debate on this that I wanted to expand with you. Someone asked us, "Would you prefer Pepe or Zaha for the money being you know money being equal?" And I, I think you were leaning Zaha. Do you still feel that way? And do you still think that could come off? Yeah, I, I think I still feel that way. Only because, I've got to be honest, right? I just know more about Zaha, right? I, I know Pepe from a, from a, a stat zone app. You see what I mean? I yeah. know Pepe yeah, from yeah. a statistical point of view. Mm-hmm. And I've watched Zaha for years, you know? And I really like him. And I can see him offering a lot to the left-hand slot of our of our attack inside. I know he's been to every premiership ground home and away. And uh, I just know that it's, it, it, it has a greater chance of success. So what do we do as fans is we start to then think about the numbers, the age, the resell. He's, you know, he's passing. He's, uh, mate, I've seen this guy rip people from a second striker perspective as a lone striker from the right and from the left. And, that's it. So I do lean towards it. I think there are three players that are out there. Everton Suarez, Pepe, and Zaha. I think two are smoke streams, and one is what we're after. And all the other things that are happening around it are just noise. Are just noise. I hope we get him at the right price. The fact that the, the report said today that Everton have offered 60 plus a player, really, that could be code for there you go, Arsenal. That's our price point. Mm. Get to get to fifty-five, sixty plus a player. Then we're up. Then we're talking. It's just, it's just communication styles. It's just, it's just it. Um, I'm hopeful that Zaha comes, but it, not to say I don't like the other players because you, you can't. Recent YouTubes, you can't fail not to like them. But I think Zaha would be a more guaranteed success at Arsenal, and I honestly, I honestly feel. And this is a bit more of a cultural thing. And as a as a Londoner or someone who grew up close to London, and Zaha also being a London guy who wants to play for the club, I think that holds weight. And I'm not being a fanboy when I say that. I no, really that's think, absolutely fair. Of course, yeah. I think it absolutely holds weight. You know, I'm I want players that want to be here. That really that aren't using the club here. as a stepping stone to the next thing. Let's make no mistake about it. Pepe comes to Arsenal. you got to believe in the back of his mind. He's thinking, put yourself in the shop window with a couple good seasons and off you go to Madrid. You know, 
Yeah, exactly. He wants to get to the Premier League to earn the big money, and I don't blame him. Most of the players in Europe do, and um, and and Liverpool. I know, I know. We're thinking with Liverpool's first eleven, um, they don't need him, but actually, they've got two of their players, maybe three. Their front three have all played in tournaments. Is that right? Mm. African Nations and the Copa America. So they've literally just hit their sunbeds now. They played right the way through to the Champions League final. Firmino had some injury problems last year. If I'm Klopp, I'm thinking, I, if I want to go for a league, I'm not going to get through this season with my with my top boys up up front staying injury free. So he may invest. He they may invest in a in a Pepe, and it makes real sense for them. I think Pepe may end up at PSG. Actually, I don't think he's going to end up towards towards Arsenal. If PSG lose Neymar, I think they're obviously going to go and get him straight away and that's their French star, you know, French league star back into their team. I think Zaha suits Arsenal. I don't think Everton will do it. Chelsea whispered as well. They've got to wait a year. Um, he's a good player. He's a good player and I think for Arsenal, he could be a very good player and that's the bit. I don't think we've seen him yet, you know, be part of a top team rather than carrying a team and staving off relegation. I think we could see a whole new different player. Yeah, well, I mean, look, either way, I, I guess which, whatever you want to happen and whatever does happen, if either any of these players arrive, it would be a hell of a lot of fun, I think. Clive, as a final point on that, and then we'll get on to the Madrid game, um, mm-hmm. would you at least acknowledge that you, you see why from sort of a economic sustainability kind of standpoint some people might lean towards the pepe deal just oh absolutely uh, you know i mean he, he arrives at 24 he plays for three seasons he leaves for 80 million i mean there's a sustainability element to that that might appeal to some people just in terms of trying to keep the club ticking over i absolutely totally understand it and there's also i totally understand it it makes financial and fiscal sense going forward all right so and there's nothing wrong with that view. And if that's your view, great. Uh, I tend to think about things like when Ian Wright signed as a 28-and-a-half-year-old and what he ended up doing for this club, the potential of somebody like that arriving that could reach icon status for the club, I think is huge. I think it goes on for many, many, many years if you're successful and you win. And that's what Ian Wright did. And here he is as a guy in his early 50s now. And he's still an icon for this club. I'm one of the most popular people. And the reason why many millions support Arsenal. I'm not saying Zaha's going to be Ian Wright. But I can see if we are successful with, with that front three we can all name. Who's to know his ceiling and how we would feel about him? You know, I think it, there's something there we're underestimating. But I totally get it. People say, not worth it, Clive. We can get we can get two players for that and we need a centre-back. How can I argue with that? Because they're absolutely right. Factually, they are correct. Mm. But this is me just projecting forward and thinking, OK, are we really, really seeing what Zaha could be appropriately versus the, what the numbers are telling us? And sometimes, for me, football is just beyond the numbers. You know, I'm going to tell you something, and this may come as a shock to everybody. You're allowed to be a fan. You're not the CEO of the club. Yeah. You're not the technical director. You're not the coach. You are allowed to say, I'd have a hell of a lot, hell of, a lot of fun and connection to Zaha playing for Arsenal, so I want that. You know, I mean, there is this sense that we can only want things for the club if they make fiscal sense and, you know, sense in terms of a squad building methodology. And I admit that I like to get caught up in that, and I think it's interesting intellectually. But, like, you still got to watch the team. You still got to root for the players. 
There's nothing wrong getting excited about a player you love who you think would be fun coming to the club. Um, whether long-term it's in the best interest of the club is is up to the people running it. If it proves to be a bad move that long-term isn't good for the club, that's not your fault, Clive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank you. That, Thank that's, you, Elliot. That's not your I fault. <laughs> yeah, like, like if they decide this is the player we need and they go spend the money on him and they bring him in and you have a hell of a lot of fun watching him, that's your job. If it winds up being a quagmire and we can't sell him and it, we overpaid and it doesn't work out, that's their fault. It's their fault. All right? Then I'll come back on this pod yep. and say, ha-ha, I told you so. But that's a different story. Uh, all right, real quick. On to the Madrid game. Um, look, we're going to put the refereeing aside. I think it was somewhat ridiculous. I mean, the red card probably is a red. You don't have to call it. There's rumors that Arsenal actually appealed to let Madrid go back to 11 men. The the Socrates sending off was silly. But I, I do think maybe this preseason we're being reminded slightly that Socrates, the, the praise for him last season, maybe over overstretched or out, outstretched the actual performances he put in. I think he might be more of a question mark for us than we think. But, of course, he's a central defender for Arsenal. So, of course, he is. Um, let's hit some of the high points. Paul, I thought we dominated the game early. It was really lovely to see. Um, you know, I thought Willick, again, a, f- a fun player to watch. But Aubameyang loved his goal. Um, you know, there, there was just a lot to like early on. Were you impressed with the way we not only created chances but controlled the ball? Yeah, and I think a bit like the Bayern game, there were echoes for a lot of these players against Madrid, right? You got Ozil, you got uh, Aubameyang, who will have been in those those discussions over the last few years about where he's going to play. And Madrid was one of those clubs he was rumored uh, to be up for. You got uh, Lacazette rumored at different times for Barca or, or whatever. So these guys all wanted to perform on the bi- on the big. Uh, stage and they came out charging and uh, especially our two uh, forwards were super lively in that first 10 minutes and and we got the the penalty and uh, Lacazette put it away off two posts I believe Um, but we started brightly and then the stupid bloody red cards top and tail the first half and it's bananas is my view Uh, if you can keep 11 players on the pitch it's in everybody's bloody interest to do it i I, absolutely nuts and absolutely amateurish to let it go that far i think if it's dangerous play then fuck them off but if you can keep them on the pitch keep them on the pitch for everybody's sake i mean when you look at it so the lineup you know, uh, I don't always remember it exactly as it was. So our lineup was we had Martinez in goal. I thought he was pretty good, uh, but probably could have done better on both their goals. Not not that it was his fault, but, y- you know, he got his hand to one, etc. So might have done, in fact, he got his hand on the ball both times. And maybe there's a little bit of a, a growth opportunity for them, him generally, but made a couple of great saves as well. So I thought generally he looked the part and his distribution was good. And we've got that over check last year. He may not have this, anything like the same experience, but he's switching between our two keep, keepers, Leno and Martinez is not such a big deal anymore because they can both distribute. Um, I thought, uh, Jenks had fun and that a lot of people still can't get over the fact that it's Jenks and they get all worked up about what he's doing on the pitch. But this is what preseason is about. As far as I'm concerned, there was a lot of fun and joy in his, his performance. Um, but in particular, the, the midfield pairing with Willock was the thing that I really took away from that. And mm-hmm. it's nice to get Z- Zidane's compliment 
but it's what's really nice is this is two big teams. Okay, they're not super competitive games. It's 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 preseason, but this is two big teams who have targeted Willock once they found out how good he was, tried to take him down, take him out, stop him in his tracks. They're the guy he's the guy they all get physical with and I just think it's a brilliant sign that they're they're basically having to rugby tackle him in the midfield uh, on two occasions and you can argue the narrative of why the game turned but one of the reasons the game turned in the second half is Willock went off at halftime and I think that was lost in the wash as to why suddenly we went from uh, being ahead yeah we lost a man uh, but we also lost our performance in the second half and couldn't play out. And our two lines of four became narrower and narrower, and we put ourselves under tremendous impression, uh, uh, under tremendous pressure, and couldn't get out. And then the kids came on at the end. That's that's basically my narrative for the game. Mm. I, you know, Clive, the the thing that frustrated me a little bit is I would have preferred to see Shaka come off and Willick stay on. And that's not an anti-Shaka comment, even. It's just. I thought Willick was really driving us forward, but also you know who Shaka is. You know what you have in Shaka. Leave Willick on and see how he how he thrives in that situation. I wonder if maybe, you know, the the boss was just thinking, I I want us to win this game. I want us to stay competitive. You know, I oh. I think I think it'd be good for us. I mean, for you, I, I was impressed with Willick. I would have liked to have seen him stay on. How, how do you feel about the way Shaka performed in the game and maybe that decision? I I, I can you can see why though, mate. He's a Shaka's an inexperienced footballer. We don't all love him, but certainly come on, hold makes it. mistakes you don't expect from an experienced footballer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Look, we're we're beyond that analysis, right? We can yes. all see the yep, mistakes. We can all see the mistakes, and um, so yeah, he's a holding player. We're down to ten men. We have a player that could potentially be our captain, love him or hate him. We're not taking him off and leaving a leaving on a nineteen year old who is showing lots of bright play, but actually got pressed off the ball quite a bit in that first half. And actually it's probably the best game he's had, because it was versus the best opposition that put him under direct pressure and he was a slightly more of a known quantity. And this is what he's gonna have to deal with going forward, because everyone's been watching him and not gonna give him time, not gonna let him run through them. They're not gonna let him run for the midfield and arrive in the box as he feels like. He's going to get pushed, he's going to get bounced, going to get fouls, going to get pressed. And I thought he did really well. Even though he wasn't as spectacular as other games, I thought, yeah, you're actually showing you belong at the level. Because if you can live with this lot, he doesn't get much better than this, mate. So what you're doing, even though it's not perfect, it's an unbelievable thing for the coach to know just how far he can be stretched, just how far he can do it. Can he? Because now he can extrapolate that to Old Trafford away. Can I do it? Can I trust him there? And I think we're all coming around to the opinion that we can. It, it's coming. And that's the that's the thing I walked away with from this game. Even though he was a little bit untidy on the ball on occasion, your eyes were still drawn to him by how he moved how through the midfield, how he was brave, how he receives it, how he bursts out of his hole. I like players like that. So my eyes are always going to look at players like that. And my eyes don't find... Shaka so pleasing on the eye. But again, if I go back to my spreadsheet, he looks very pleasing on my spreadsheet. 
All right, mm. that's a different side to football. On the it's, spreadsheet, it's what we'll call at, the Mustafi conundrum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we, we start talking final entry passes, man. I think I've got an unbelievable player on my hands. This is what you this is about the um analysis of, of football statistically versus what you see, how you can make the two coexist and come up with a good opinion. And um and, and so, when you look at uh, Eddie's counter attack in the second half when he gets one on one with the keeper, I mean that's that's Chaka who's chipping that that shot into his path perfectly. So yeah, he has his uses. He has his uses, and it's a tough one, right? It's a tough one. We're 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 transitioning again, shall we say? And Perpetually. we have we have somebody that we generally start a season slow, and then he builds into the season and normally ends it quite well. Um, so we know we're going to get another player that seems to want to be here, wants to take responsibility, wants to be the leader of the dressing room, wants to make sure, you know, our, for example, our players make sure they go over and applaud to fans in Europa League final. Things like that, things that are hidden behind the scenes, they're important to what a dressing room is. Not everybody, and I'm, this, is, this is coming from Pace and Power Clive here, but not everybody can be superb athlete they have to bring something else to the team a certain glue to the team a certain leadership yes i did not i cannot get him shooting out of a gun against brighton to go and kill somebody in the corner and potentially cost us three points i can't forget that um and yes we do need to develop away from him but given the fact we just loaned the player in center midfield given the fact that we have no left back of any sort of dynamism that can play in the back four. Um, given the fact that our best right back is back from a cruciate, we don't know how long he's going to be around for. And uh, same for our centre half, we have to ease them back. I just think there are bigger priorities than Granite Shaka at the moment. But talk to me in a year's time, and I think hopefully we'll be in a position to say, let's get him out of the way because we've got so many players ahead. We can get Torreira back in there and we can go a different way. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And look, I mean, there are things that Shaka does brilliantly and, and nothing I'm saying about him is meant to invalidate those. And, and Paul referenced the ball that set in free. I mean, he's got that in his locker all day long. You give him three yards of space, you know, deep in the midfield and a chance to look up and he's going to spray some beautiful long balls. He is a wonderful distributor out to the wings. He is able to do that big switch across the pitch. Um, interestingly, I don't think he's great at the five-yard pass. I think he leaves that short a lot. Mm. Um, mm. I think sometimes he makes decisions to go, you know, uh, laterally under pressure that, that can cause problems. And I think he defends with his arms and with his legs instead of moving his body. And there were two borderline penalties that maybe weren't penalties, but where you just saw the clumsiness of the way he, he defends because he doesn't move his body, he doesn't shuffle his feet. Yeah, and with VAR, Elliot, that they could be issues, couldn't they? Yeah, well, it, it is. It really be- is. Because I think... He he puts the referee to a decision a lot. You know what I mean? He he just yeah. puts the referee to a decision a lot. Same thing Mustafi does. Now, admittedly, Mustafi's a central defender, so it's a bigger problem. But I think in terms of watching Willick this summer and watching highlights of someone like Ceballos and, and watching Torreira with his little trickery last season, even Ganduzi with that little ability to push it ahead and, and drive past a guy, I just think the degree to which Shaka is static and a little slow to, to move the ball short. He's great to move the ball long, spray it, switch it, fine. Uh, those are the things that I think are potentially disruptive to our game, that if he's not constantly and ever-present in our midfield, could be helpful. But we will see. Um, as we sort of wrap up on this game, a couple of things. I mean, Aubameyang looks 
crazy sharp this summer. I mean, let's all hope his his season gets off to the kind of start that his summer is uh, sort of um, previewing. I guess you would say there's a word that his I'm probably trajectory. looking for. Yeah. Um, but aside from him, I mean, the kids are the story. That's what we're looking at right now. We're trying to see what we have on our hands. When they came on the entire front three, I thought Nelson played pretty well, better than we've seen. Saka was excellent yeah. again. And Enkedia had two misses, but Paul, Enkedia had two misses in the same way Aubameyang's misses sometimes drive you nuts. Mm. You want a player that gets into .5 XG range. You know what I mean? You want yeah. you want that player. And I think Enkedia being in position to to score two goals from two very good situations is really encouraging. Yeah, I mean, great strikers, unfortunately, miss lots of great chances. doesn't matter who they are, pretty much. Uh, I mean, Cavani's great skill is getting into those positions and missing his fair share. And it's it's like, if only he'd put those away. Well, he puts plenty away. And I think the exciting thing was Eddie got two great shouts there. And the header was not that easy. It was a pretty good header. I mean, uh, it was Saka put the ball in, wasn't it? I mean, it was blasted in. And, uh, you know, nearly took his head off and was just past the right post. So, yeah, there were great positions. The one-on-one, his touch got away from him. But I um, don't think that was the greatest pitch anybody's ever played on. Um, and, you know, shit happens at speed. So, it, it, the timing of his run, blah, blah, blah. I thought he did great apart from finishing, which... He, that was really all he was asked to do on the day. But that's you want him in those spots. I thought, in particular, the one that stood out, maybe because we've just got used to all the other young players playing well, Nelson, that was a big step up for me. I think he'll... Uh, uh, and while I've been critical of him, I, I think he'd feel the same way that he's been frustrated he hasn't got to show off so far this se- this preseason. I think he'll come away from that game feeling pretty good about him. And I feel the same way. I think uh, he really showed a bit of something that was a more counter-attacking game, which maybe suited him. He had some space. I don't know that he... I'd like to see him impress when the other team's sitting back and dug in, um, show that he can be that wild card that can make a difference, that unpredictable player. But I thought he was really good in this uh, right from the get-go. And if anybody, Sean, when we brought the kids on at the end in an attacking sense, maybe because he's he hasn't hasn't done it before for us this preseason, he, he for me, really stood out. I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I want to see more of this uh, Nelson. So he'll come away from that feeling pretty darn good about himself. And he really helped us on the counter. Um, and he... Uh, he set up that uh, there was a great cross he put in. Um, I don't know who, who came in for the cross. Was it Saka, Saka. came in for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a um, it's a brilliant cross. He put it in probably just a little earlier and a little better than Enkedia was prepared for. It came in hot and he you just couldn't quite make any contact because it, it would have been would have been a goal with any solid contact. Yeah, so yeah, I thought Nelson did great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so Clive, I mean, just real quick, two two final issues on this game. One. There was a period in the second half where they scored their two goals, where we were under the cosh quite a bit. We were defending really deeply, and I think it was in a preseason that's been really encouraging, actually. It was a reminder, and we've had a few of these, to be fair, of the precariousness of our situation defensively. Now, to be fair, at the time, I mean, it's Monreal, Chambers, Jenkinson, Kolasinac. These are the defenders. I mean, I think Shaka had dropped back into the defense. Um, So... How worrying was that period for you in terms of just being a reminder of the precariousness of the defensive situation? Well, 
I'll tell you what, L- Lewis Ambrose sent a tweet out a spreadsheet of our defensive options and it was it was done in a way where it's like one shade for first team player, one shade for injury, one shade for you know player on the way out, one shade for player who we want to sell. And I think there was like one player left that was ready to play now and it's like Socrates and it just makes you and then and he doesn't mind a red card, right? It really does scream at you well it's, it's becoming a real issue right? we think that the, these players are going to carry us through the season we are absolutely deluded we, we really are you know it's not about not liking players or being critical or, or, or moaning because I'm not I just know that Cole Jenkins is going to do have one good game and, and then within 10 minutes of the next game, he's going to let someone run off his shoulder and we're going to, we're going to concede. Well, that, we that's more optimistic than me, by the way, because I can't see him having the one yeah. good game. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, should, I should have said the word period rather than yeah, game. Right? <laughs> so, um, um, Mustafi, we all know that. You're just trying to believe in him the next minute he pushes Harry Kane in the box and we can see the belly in North London derby. Idiot. Right? So, um Koscielny wants out because the world is he feels the world is against him so um, there you go um, Chambers nice lad you know the drill souffle not happening um, Rob Holding a lot is on him but he's had nine months out so he needs time um, Bellerin we all like same as Rob Holding Kalashnik is becoming a cult hero by the hour, right? And by the retweet. So we know he can play wing back. We know he knocks off at fullback. Monreal's 106. We have problems. We have problems here. And I and, and we have to address it. We really do. And if we can even address a couple of players back there, we have a chance to maybe wait, mix, match, and get through. And I know you don't like the back three earlier, but it's the best way to get through until we can get those more solid mm. components in place. It's the best way. It's your your players choose your system. Can I just say Don't why I disagree get... just real quick? I, I haven't seen okay. evidence that it makes us more defensively solid, but I have seen evidence that it makes us uh, blunts our attack. So like absent the belief that it does improve our defense, I'd rather just see us attack better and control the ball yeah. more. Well, it's interesting. There was an interview, I think it was pre the Real Madrid game when Monreal and Emery were being interviewed and they asked her a similar question about the back three. It may have been Andrew even asked the question. And I think it's interesting that Monreal says uh, when we need to attack more, we take out a defender. I thought that's really interesting. That's how the players see it. That's how the manager sees it. So we may see it at home when we want to overload in higher areas. I think there's been occasions when he has been a little bit defensive in centre midfield or not offensive enough in fullback areas. Right, so but it's been those players. My point about Reese Nelson playing right wing back in a home game three at the back that works. You're taking out a defender and you're now putting in a winger that can defend. That works, and you are loading up the offensive areas. So we need to think about how we apply the back three. But with the players that we have, the system will choose itself in those moments, and we mustn't get fixated about the system because the players will define it and how they're playing, how secure they are, how they can accept responsibilities in, the, in their area of the pitch. And um, so that, that's what I see happening this season. So don't, I'm telling you now, mate, the back three is here, to, is here for another year until we can get a back four that absolutely all of us can pick without debate 
we're gonna have a we're gonna be mixing and matching tactically based on the opponent on the, and and where we're playing. Yeah, and by the way, I mean I think part of the problem, if you want to play the back three against Liverpool, Chelsea, City, United, Spurs. I mean, I, I prefer not to in those games. And in fact, I think we had our better performances against those teams in the back four. But like, you could talk me into it. The problem is, the reason we didn't finish top four is we didn't take enough points off the bottom 14, bottom 13. And to do that, you got to go get them. You got to go get goals. And so, you know, and I realize it's the 51 goals we conceded that are the problem, but you have to play on the front foot against the small teams. So if we're a little more you can, vulnerable... You can do that in a three. Don't, don't think no, I know that we can't. the three stops you being... Right. It's, it's, about, it's about the makeup of your team. It's and your that point, midfield your, your, too, Clive. When exactly. we played with Ramsey, I thought the back three looked more coherent in attack because his progressive running added a body into the final third. Without yeah, that, when it was Torreira and... Or, sorry, Shaka and Ganduzi, it didn't work. Okay. No, it didn't, it, it didn't work as well. It okay. worked differently. <laughs> it worked differently. And so when Ramsey goes, that's great. So we think immediately we have another body around the penalty spot that can finish. Great. Um, but when he's not in hot, in position in centre mid and we get broken on, we don't remember that. Do you see what I mean? We, 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 we lose that from our minds, right? So the best formation last year for me was four diamond two. I, yeah, I think we played that, that at Spurs away, didn't we? Yeah, I think that gives us a bit of solidity in midfield. So we protect our fullbacks with a three and a V. We have a floating ten, which we've got loads of. We got loads of, or a pressing ten, and we've got two fours who don't mind pinning back four defenders in between centre backs and fullbacks. That to me is our best formation. But it doesn't mean I want to see it every single week because as soon as you play every single week, you're going to get red, right? So, so I'm not, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the tactical changes. But uh, yeah, I understand people's frustration with the back three. So we need to get better at it and pick a different balance in centre mid or at wing back. And if we do that, I think it can be successful. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to be argumentative. I, I personally don't care for it. I think this summer we've also seen the difference pretty starkly, again, just preseason, but I think it was the Fiorentina game where we started with the back three. It was pretty diabolical. A lot of passing between the centre backs. It put so much pressure on the, the wing backs to receive the ball up against the, the touchline and distribute quickly and make runs. And when it works, that's how we got our first goal against Fiorentina. But there's long stretches of sterile possession with, with the, the back three cycling it between each other. So not my favorite, but I, I take your point. Uh, Paul, before we move on to just some final thoughts on the Q&A, do you have a, a thought on that in terms of uh, sort of formation flexibility and, and whether you'd like to see the back three killed with fire the way I would? Uh, I'm pretty much on the killed back three with fire. Uh, I think we need it as an option. I think there are games where it makes it sense where it makes sense but it needs to be uh my preference is much more that it be plan c without a plan b um we uh, uh, there is an argument that we our squad still suits a back three in terms of the players we have so we need to add some players we need we, we need uh a bellerin on both sides well we have ainsley maitland niles doing a pretty good job on the right side. Maybe defensively, he has a lot to learn, but they're working hard on him. They're working hard on Kolasinac defensively too. So maybe we'll get some improvement defensively from those two guys. Um, you can argue that a lot of our squad doesn't make, fits a, a back three uh, with wing backs better than it fits uh, for the back. But I'm fully on board with, uh, we can't defend in e either format, so let's get an extra attacker on the pitch. 
I think maybe some of our options may change. Maybe we'll look a little better with the back three if we have when we try out uh, Sabayas, um, because he will give us options from midfield to to play uh, more intricate build-up play. And I also think we've sucked playing out from the back. And one of the advantages of having that back three format is the ability to stretch the pitch and play out from the back. But we haven't haven't really had the player. Maybe Sabayas will be an interesting player in that mix. Um, we lose Ramsey for the back three, where we look good, but we gain Sabayas. So we'll see. So there are some permutations. But Jesus, let's play interesting football. If we can't defend in uh, with either format, and we can't fix it, we also only need two centre backs if we're playing with the back four. And we can barely scrape two decent ones together. I think the logic that, hey, let's put out three three dodgy ones instead of two half-decent ones. If we've got Holding and Socrates and they can stay fit for most games in the season, then I, I'd vote for 80-plus percent of our games having a back four, but we can switch to a back three when we need it. Mm. We're just, we should be playing 4-2-3-1 with lots of... We've got so many midfielders now. Let's make sure we can stack up with midfielders and attackers and just take it to them. And that makes our defense better. It should do. I mean, it never pans out that way. But we haven't really had an all-singing, all-dancing central midfielder who can hold possession, who can control the game, who can keep us up the field, who can keep us clever uh, and use the ball while we have it. We give it away too quickly. I mean, uh, uh, Chak is a great passer, but... Uh, long balls get cut out too and before you know it you're defending again so Sabayas I hope being press resistant being able to dribble beat a man get the pass off and set us up the pitch uh, we start to he's the guy who'll integrate to the front three and Ozil um, you know it could all be different if we if we see a lot of Sabayas if, if it's mostly the same players it doesn't really change my opinion that we need to go be ballsy and play a more attacking structure and Emery's kind of made noises that uh, he'll lean more to a back four and I hope that's what we do. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Let's end with a a little thought on the QA. I mean, look, preseason's been mostly encouraging. I mean, it's preseason, so it's stupid and it's pointless. You know, this is is the interesting thing too. I think people say, throw out preseason, doesn't matter, it's a fitness exercise, don't pay attention to it. I slightly disagree. I think the ICC changed it a bit. You can't tell me that against Bayern, the players didn't care. That against Madrid, the players didn't care. When you play these prestige friendlies, again, they're still just friendlies. They're still training exercises. And those teams are a week behind us or two weeks behind us in preparation. So I'm not saying it's a competitive fixture. But it's definitely a level up than Singapore 11, you know, or or a local team, you know, the Rapids game. These games had some spice to them. They had some energy and effort and challenge to them that I think give you a slightly better look at where you are in the process, and it was encouraging. So so I think, like, why not be positive? Like, we got nothing else to do other than be fucking miserable. So it is what it is. Speaking of being miserable, Clive, I, we, we covered the uh, QA extensively with Tim. I just want to get your thoughts on the tone of it. Um, there's a lot of anger that was expressed there, and I can identify with why a lot of that anger was expressed. But I think there is a fair question to be asked about the relationship between the fans and the clubs when you're in person with the chief executive and the, the director of football and the technical director who's a former player, and you have that direct access, and they're granting that to try to create a liaison with the fans. I mean, you don't have to be sycophantic or obsequious about it, but to what extent 
do you feel that the tone was problematic there? How do you feel about sort of the whole way that the, the Q&A was conducted in general? Well, fandom is just a representation of, of society, of all of us. But I think, particularly in preseason, what really becomes apparent is the global audience Arsenal have, particularly in, with the preseason tour being in America, and seeing some of the fan dedication out there has been really like a, an, an eye-opener for for me and a, re- and a reminder but also it they they got those guys support us in a different way and then we have like the the local fans right so the people that can get to the games like myself i'm going to the game on sunday and some of those people are well known they're they are well known around the club well known on online etc and they have a fantastic opportunity to talk to the heads of the club that I'm sure there are 30 million fans out there who would love that opportunity. So if they got there, they're there. And they've got this opportunity. And when that moment comes, there is a moment where you have to think. You have to think, I'm now in a position where I'm slightly privileged and I have to be sensible by what I say. Don't walk in the room with your luggage of all your life's pain of supporting Arsenal and then give that out to everybody. Try to think about how your question can be really valuable and utilised in a way where the answer can give information and transparency to everybody that supports and loves the club. Right? It's not about how you as an individual feels. It's about how we feel. And I think sometimes that gets lost and it becomes a very, it becomes an emotion that flips to anger. And then I got to be honest with you, there was was a podcast we could do the 300th episode and if it wasn't for the news that came out, we may have done a podcast talking about why we do podcasts, for example, why we invest this time. And one of the reasons why I do it, apart from the fact that I enjoy the company, um, is... (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> is I I try my best to be a better fan, to know more about the game, to be better every time I can possibly go and watch a game. I want to I want to understand it more. I want to learn more about people's views. I want to engage with people. I want to be a better fan. Right? Doesn't mean I don't moan. Doesn't mean I don't criticise. I want to be better. And I think we have to think about that as Arsenal fans. I don't think we're great. I don't think we're great as a collective. I think we can be better. And I, and everything in my power and, and everything that I have and all the understanding that I have, if I could help uh, and uh, help people to understand football from my perspective or help them see something that they may have already seen that brings to the forefront of their mind, that's why I do it. Right? And I think we need to be better as fans. Ed has been in the building two minutes and people are shouting at him. What are we doing? What are we doing? We would have said years ago, I sat on this podcast and said, I wish we had a summit like Bayern Munich or Ajax with lots of ex-players back in the club with senior roles. Well, guess what? We're moving that direction. The guy's sitting there two weeks into his job, honeymoon period, and people are shouting at him. This is not an idiot. This is someone that's won major trophies for the club. What are we doing? What we're doing is think about ourselves first and not the club. And I and I felt, and I don't care how this comes across, I felt um, embarrassed. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. And we have to be better. 
the club is trying. They're not perfect, but neither are you and neither am I. Right? So I think we really need to focus on this. We really do. And hopefully get some alignment with the club. They're going to walk out of that room thinking, what is the point? We have been ultra transparent, even down to sharing org charts. And that's used to slap us in the head. The first time we step out of line, we get slapped in the head. And I just think, I prefer the engagement that we're having. I prefer the transparency. I don't want a one-man band where everything's wrapped into one individual and how he feels. I want a I want a layer of people, I've always said this, some depth and some quality. I want to see better decisions. I'll tell you what I really want, Elliot. I want the football to come back mm. because football takes everyone's priority over. I want the football to come back, meaningful football, because people are, are, are not thinking smart at the moment. And, it, and I find it disappointing. Yeah, look, I mean, there is certainly a bit of it that reeks of entitlement. I, I think... This has to happen in all walks of life, not just football, politics, everywhere. We have to be able to engage with people who upset us, disappoint us, disagree with us in a way that is respectful, in a way that is not hysterical. Um, you know, one thing that I think whether you, you know, love some of the YouTube stuff that's out there, fans screaming into microphones or whatever, you know, you can love whatever you love. Choose the content that's your favorite. And sometimes yeah. it's different types of content. But like for me... When I'm sitting in a room with someone or talking to someone over a microphone like this, I want to disagree with them when I do, but I want to be able to do it respectfully. And I guess the question I would ask is, what do you think you improve by shouting down Raul or Vinay or Edu? And it's not to say that I'm being the arbiter of, of appropriate behavior, because you know what? Everybody finds themselves in a situation where they've had a drink or they're in public, they get goaded on, and they behave in a way that maybe is regrettable. Emotion spills over. I, we're, we're only human. We are. We're only human. And I'm sure those people who are shouting do care, but there has to be an ability for us to engage with others who upset us or disagree with us or, or disappoint us in a way that is civil. Um, and, and that can be more productive. Again, I don't want to come across as lecturing people who, who acted that way or being the arbiter of appropriate behavior and decorum because that's not my place. And I certainly have let myself down at, at times. We all do it. But yeah. it is certainly worth asking, do, do you think that shouting them down advances anyone's cause um, other than just a, a, a display of energy and emotion? I mean, Paul, I think that it is good that the club does this. I think it is helpful that the club does this. I think... It's good that they do it locally because while global supporters are very important, I think the club should cherish and value its local supporters and the people that are are part of the community. Um, do you think that there is a a level of respect and decorum that is owed, or is it fair for people to be emotional about a thing they love this much and and have that emotion spill over? Yeah, I I think it's look, it's bloody great that the club does a Q and A. Very very few clubs, as I understand it, do it. Um, the people who talk need the emotion comes through. You don't need to share your life story or bleed on the carpet. They, they bloody know, and they're going to get that in the. They have a chat with everybody afterwards, so they they know about the emotion. What we need is people who can articulate the fan issues intelligently and ask questions that move the. It's a dialogue with the club. It's not. It shouldn't be a shouting match. You don't need to vent your spleen. You don't need to, as I said, bleed on the carpet before them for them to understand what it means to the fans. Ask articulate questions that advance the dialogue with the club so that they understand 
uh, I mean, if they all they go back with afterwards is, man, the fans are fucking having a meltdown. They don't understand what we're trying to do. There are real issues. They're not tapped into the tapped into what those issues are. It it creates a wall between the club and the fans, and they're not going to want much more of it. I mean, they may keep the Q and A going, but the I mean the. I think there were three or so. Well, there's a limited number of questions, and that gets wound down pretty quickly uh, when when it all gets ugly. If you want to have a bigger dialogue, have have a better dialogue. The more eloquent, the more um, progressive the questions are that get to real issues. There was a great question around safe standing asked well, and it got a real answer. There, if you just put them on the defensive, you're not going to get very much because you get into a shouting match effectively. But they can't shout. I thought there was a really good line in the middle of it where somebody somebody shouted up, "Oh, it's all just words." And I think it was Vinay said, "It's a Q and A. You know, it wasn't been smart. It's a Q and A. Words are all we have to give you, but it's yeah. part of a dialogue. And if you're asking intelligent questions." You know, they'll listen more and more. There's only so much they can do anyway. We know there are parameters, right? Self-sustaining model. Let's take the best case scenario. Cranky isn't going to put any money in. He's not going to take any money out. Um, He wants a strong management team. It's entirely in his interest that the club be successful for obvious commercial reasons. He's not going to do anything weird and wonderful. He's not going to throw 300 million at it. But he's also... uh, entirely incented to put in place a good management team that has on and off the field success. Why don't we proceed on that basis that everybody here is acting in good stead? If you think you can get cranky out, uh, good luck to you. Um, You're a braver man than I to want to see that out, but it's going to be massive bloodshed. So working within the realities of what we've got, let's treat these people as honest actors trying to do the best job they can and communicate them with them eloquently and in a sophisticated manner to have a proper discussion between fans and management to move the club forward. And they get it. You're all worked up about shit. So that's how I feel about it. I think that's articulately put and, and passionately argued. And I don't have a lot to add to that. Um, We are now with all parts considered, hitting that magical two-hour mark that I think everybody looks for in their podcast. I think if if you can't have the entire Avengers Endgame movie play on mute while listening to our podcast, we haven't done our job. But don't ever let it be said that we overprioritize Patreon because this is two full hours of entirely free and hopefully somewhat enjoyable content. Uh, and then you can go to Patreon and hear the deep dive on Danny Ceballos we're going to do with Giant Gooner later today or the one we did with... Uh, with Scott on uh, Saliba and Ceballos and the Pepe rumors. So there's all that. I, I think we should leave it there, guys. Can we leave it there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean no, don't get no me wrong. To go I, to know we could, I know we, I know we could we go could further. We could carry up. Hey, look, Clive, you're, you're going to the stadium this weekend, so that'll be fun, and we'll, we'll have lots to say about that, and hopefully we'll see Ceballos, which will be fun. And uh, the, the season is, is drawing nigh, so 
I mean, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Sunday. I'm going to my first ladies game, which I can't oh, wait. I'm going to get there early. Uh, I feel as though I know about it, but you know what? Let's go and see it. And so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a few drinks. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. I, I will wait. be having a few of those tonight. Uh, I have the night off of being a, a grown up and a parent tonight. So I'll be doing the same. Um, all right. Well, here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is thank you for listening to this and thank you for putting up with us. We do love you and we appreciate all the, the feedback we get and everything. If you want to give us a five-star review, it would be super appreciated. Um, but if you don't, you know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review, as previously mentioned. Scott will be on with me doing a YouTube show next week, which I'm really excited about. And then we have a special guest YouTube show lined up that should be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, some really cool stuff lined up for the, the start of the new season and a few guests between now and then to give us their take. So looking forward to all of that, uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, an exciting end of the preseason and maybe even a, a positive start to the new season and maybe one or two more signings. Who knows? Asking too much? We'll find out. In either event, uh, we are excited to get on with it and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Leon Nil. Thanks, Scott.